God, we thank you for who you are. We praise you for being someone who loves us and cares for us. Father, I ask for eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that receive your love and word this morning. I pray that everything I made up would fall on the ground and not be remembered by anyone, but everything that you have to say to us today, I pray would be remembered and uh, shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. We love you and we ask for the grace to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's recite the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the seventh week of our time in the Beatitudes of Jesus. Uh, We've got just one more after this, and then we can say that we have studied the foundational teachings of the Christian faith in depth. Uh, I think this series has been important for us because foundations are important. The fundamentals are important. Knowing who we are is important and knowing who Jesus is, is important. So in January, we went through the foundations of who we are as a church. We are a church that communes with God, loves one another and serves the world. That's the foundation of who we are. And through this series in July, we've been going through the foundations of who Jesus is. Because that's one important thing that the Beatitudes do. They show us what Jesus is like and how his gospel works in the world. We've been getting big, healthy portions of Jesus over the last calendar year, uh, as we've been almost exclusively in the four gospels. We're rediscovering the things that we're already good at and the things that can stretch us uh, so that we can have those identity markers as we move forward as a church with a new vision. And now we've spent nearly two months drilling the Beatitudes into our heads, memorizing and reciting them every single day, reading the same passage for eight weeks so that together we can get a clearer picture of God so we can learn how to be like him and recognize his work in the world and in us. I try not to do a sermon series off the cuff without having any reason behind it. So if you're a long-term thinker like I am, uh, our last 12 months have looked a lot like foundations and fundamentals, a mix of who Jesus is and a mix of who we are as a church, Uh, because that's exactly what it was supposed to look like. This church is not our church. This is Jesus's church. And I believe that the foundations we've been laying over the last year are going to help this church become closer to Christ than we even thought possible. And the closer we get, as we learned last week, the more we will see and the more we will be shaped into his image. I don't usually share my sermon planning strategy, but 
I want you to know that we are going somewhere with God. We're going somewhere. There is a direction. There is a plan. In the book of Luke, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is, this is after the, the sending of the 72. There's 72 disciples. Uh, the disciples have disciples of, for them. And they're sent out on kind of their first mission trip. Do you remember that? Maybe we talked about that almost a year ago. And all 72 get back and they regroup and they talk about the things that they experienced after some time of mimicking Jesus and the life that he offers in the world and for people in front of them. So they knew who Jesus was and they knew who they were in Jesus and they went out and lived that life. And Jesus starts talking to them and he says something very incredible to them. And he actually says it in the form of a beatitude. Here's what he tells the 72 after they get back. He looks at his followers, the closest to him who mimic him. And he says in Luke 10, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. That is where we are going with God. If we lay the foundations of who we are and who Jesus is like in our vision and the Beatitudes, And if we all do our part to make communing with God the most important thing about us as a church and individually, then those blessed eyes Jesus will be talking about will be our blessed eyes. The blessed eyes are the eyes of his disciples. And we've got a place that we're going, and I'm excited for what God is doing in our little church. In our journey to know what Jesus is like and how his gospel works in the world, we have learned that the kingdom of heaven is for normal people. Uh, We learned that God mourns with those who mourn and he comforts them. We learned that the way to inherit the earth is not through self-assertiveness, but it's through meekness, not dominance. We learned that Those who will be satisfied are those who have the same end goal as God. We learn that those who give mercy receive mercy and that we all have so much more mercy to give than we even thought possible. And last week, we learn that those who are close enough to Jesus to allow him to clean the smudges from our hearts will see God, not glitch out in front of the presence of his otherness. And we come to our beatitude today. Uh, I'm excited for this one because unlike last week's, where it was probably a little more difficult for people to maybe identify with, I think many of us can actually see ourselves a little more clearly in this beatitude. So we're in Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, Bibles in front of you or under you. If you don't have a Bible, you can have that one. If you want to read the Bible together, email me and we'll set up a time. Matthew 5, 1 through 10, and we're focusing on verse 9 today, and I'll be reading from the NRSV this morning. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Uh, This one, I had a much harder time finding contemporary language that I was happy with. Uh, I found great quotes from great people trying to reword this beatitude. Uh, Dallas Willard rewords it like this. He says, blessed are those in the middle when neither side trusts you for they will be children of God. That's a really good one, I think. Eugene Peterson, my personal hero, he rewords it like this. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Like that one? Brian Zond rewords it like this. He said, blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world for they are God's children working in the family business. I like that family business idea. The middle people, the cooperation teachers, the bridge builders, basically all the Enneagram nines, these are all really good images of a peacemaker. And if we're going to know who is called a child of God, We really have to know what the meaning of a peacemaker is. But I do think that all of these very well-grounded rewordings of this beatitude, I think they lack a little something, Um, especially when it comes to the meaning of the word peace. And trust me, I feel really weird saying that about three of my favorite pastors and Christian thinkers. Uh, I don't want to give off the impression that I've somehow found some meaning that they couldn't because if theology was a sport, they would run circles around me, okay? But when I see the word peace in the Bible, all I can see is the original meaning of it. Like it just, I just somehow trained my brain to replace the word peace with the word shalom. Do you remember that word shalom? Shalom. It's the Hebrew word that we usually translate as peace, but it has much more meaning than that, more of a wholeness connotation to it. We talk about it all the time at Advent and Christmas because peace is the culmination of the gospel. Shalom is the end goal of the gospel. Shalom is more than pacified hostility. Shalom is wholeness, harmony, and completeness. Y'all remember that from Advent? And now it's like Christmas in July because we're talking about the same ideas. You see, people tend to have a pretty low understanding of peace. Uh, We tend to have a low expectation for what peace actually does for us personally as a human race and for the whole creation. Uh, We don't expect a lot out of peace for some reason. We tend to think that peace is experienced when we are left alone, when no one is messing with us, or when no one is messing with our stuff. 
That's how we think we experience peace, or we, we think that we are being peaceful if we just aren't harassing, or we aren't arguing, or we aren't messing with others. Just sort of passively living in the world, not giving any flag, not getting any flag back. That's usually what we think of as peace. And that is a really low expectation of peace. It's not something to be experienced at all. It's just not experiencing things. But if the Beatitudes are the workings of the gospel in the world and what Jesus is like, then there is no way that Jesus is talking about those who try to pacify hostility and create net neutrality in the world. Not what he's talking about. Jesus must be talking about a much higher bar for peace. And he is because he is talking about shalom, wholeness, harmony, and completeness. He's talking about the work that he does through his good news. Here's what peace actually does. Peace disrupts the chaos that we live in. This is the essence of the gospel. This is the the, uh, the essence of what God is doing in the world, that God and humanity once lived in a state of wholeness, harmony, and completeness. But we missed the mark. We didn't hold up our end of the relationship, and we did something called sin. We sinned. And it was a collective choice, and it still is. And it plunged the world into this state of chaos, disunity, where brother kills brother, and nation hates nation. And what is evil is called good, and what is good is called evil, where creatures elevate the self to creator, where death looms on the horizon like a far-off storm that just sneaks up on us. All we've ever known is chaos. And then, Jesus came and disrupted everything so that humans could, and God could experience wholeness, harmony, and completeness. Peace breaking into the chaos, disrupting it. Reconciliation with God. Chaos is the disruption of shalom, and shalom is the disruption of chaos. This is the essence of the gospel. It is the essence of the work of Jesus Christ. And those who are peacemakers are those who spend their lives bringing the world in front of Jesus so that Jesus can do his reconciliation work. It is those who continue his work of good news for the world. And how do I know this? It's all over the Bible. I'm about to quote a lot of Bible. So just receive the words of God. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. How beautiful. Are the, upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation. For he is our peace, 
In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law and its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. That gets me fired up. I don't know about you. In the Bible, when we are talking about peace, we aren't talking about a little cabin in some woods somewhere in a quiet evening with people that you love. In the Bible, when it talks about peace, it's more often than not talking about humanity's journey to reconciliation with God. The peacemakers are those who are convinced that a life in Christ is the hope for everyone and everything's reconciliation to God. It's not passive non-experience. Shalom isn't the kind of peace that you can sit around and hope and wait for. It's the active work of building bridges for others to cross into God. They are people with a knack for bringing individuals and communities before Jesus so that Jesus can do his work in them. They are people of reconciliation, people of wholeness, harmony, completeness. They are truly the ones in the middle doing the work of Jesus. And that is why they are called children of God. Like Brian Zahn says, they are doing family business work. Uh, The same work that the Son of God does is the work of a peacemaker. So God puts the unbelievable honor of having the same familial relationship that he has with his son upon the peacemaker. Uh, I grew up in a family business. Uh, When you grow up in a family business, the lines between work and home just do not exist. They don't exist at all. And... uh, You know, that wasn't always a good thing for us, uh, but I was doing the same work as my brothers. I was doing the same work as my sister. I did the same work as my stepdad, the same work as my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, the same work as my grandfather and my grandmother. The shared work between us connected us in ways that we probably wouldn't be connected otherwise. And I believe that this beatitude is telling us that the shared work of reconciling the word to God, the shared work of peace between Jesus, our brother, and God, our Father, by the power of the Spirit, 
and the ministry of reconciliation creates a special familial connection to God. Now, in our minds, uh, with this understanding of peacemaking, we might start to think that it feels a lot more than just being an Enneagram 9, right? It sort of raises the bar for what we know as peace and making peace. Peace that we expect is easy to make, but shalom is the work of God, and that might feel unattainable to you like it's reserved for the A-team. Like you can't identify with it because you haven't been on a mission trip in years or you feel like giving backpack and school supplies, you know, once a year is nice, but it's not enough to be a peacemaker. And while I do think there are certain people out there doing the peacemaker work of building bridges of reconciliation to God, it is an absolute mistake to think that peacemaking is for the A-team. Remember, peace is all about disrupting the chaos of a sin-saturated and war-torn world by bringing people to Jesus. Now, when you hear bring people to Jesus, you probably heard evangelism. (laughs) That's probably what you heard, right? Even though that's not what I said, Uh, You know, do like what the disciples did and bring strangers into the Christian faith. And there's no doubt that that is part of it. A lot of the passages that we just read and talked about, uh, about peace and reconciliation, are also focused on the proclamation of that peace. News cannot be news unless it is heard by the unheard. News has to be expressed, but peacemaking is not exclusively proclaimed. There are wider possibilities here. Jesus himself did not exclusively proclaim. Sometimes he just did a miracle. Sometimes he just ate with people. Sometimes he just showed up when he was needed, like with Doubting Thomas. Sometimes he would heal somebody and specifically tell them not to tell everybody about it. Jesus proclaimed a lot, but proclamation of the good news of peace was not the only way that he did the work of a peacemaker. For those of us who feel like we need to be shaped by this beatitude, peacemakers are not just about the evangelists and the proclaimers who bring people in communities into shalom. Peacemaking is more about, in its purest form, calming the chaos of our world by helping others experience Jesus. Experience wholeness, harmony, completeness, and the peace of God. It is simple bridge building. Uh, Bridges aren't usually built all at once. Uh, Most of the time, building the bridge of God's peace is done in quiet, small, acts of love. When you experience a bout of anxiety, and everybody who's had anxiety knows the chaos that that disrupts your life with, and what helps disrupt that chaos of fear is Psalm 91 or Romans 8, just being read to you over and over and over again. 
Instead, you experience the peace of God. Or when you experience the chaos of losing someone or something that you love, and a simple prayer given in love at the right time helps disrupt the chaos of loss, and instead you experience the peace of Jesus. When you're experiencing the chaos of loneliness, and someone just disrupts it by just being near, being available, being kind, instead you experience the peace of Jesus. And when you and someone you love are in conflict and you come near to just being done with each other and suddenly out of a conviction of the heart, an act of forgiveness and reconciliation disrupts the chaos of anger. And instead you experience the peace of Jesus. You are brought in front of Jesus to do his work. Peacemaking is not just about the big things that you read in the Bible or books. Peacemaking is simply bringing Jesus into other people's chaos. It's not always easy. It is active work, but it's always disruptive to the chaos. Little acts of shalom can shape us into peacemakers building the bridge of reconciliation between people and God. The culmination of the gospel is peace. Peacemakers do the work of Christ in the world. And those who share in the work of Christ in the world, no matter how big or how small it might be, are connected to God through the family business. Let's pray and we'll have communion together as a family. God, I thank you for your shalom. I thank you that wholeness and harmony and completeness is a high bar for peace. Father, I ask that you would raise our standard for what peace is and what it does for us and the entire creation. I pray that you would make us peacemakers, people who actively build the connection between our world of chaos and your presence of peace. When we see chaos, Lord, help us to bring your presence. Lord, shape us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We love him and we ask for the grace to love him more. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.